0: Genesis chapter 4 tonight, continuing our series through the book of Genesis. And I want to just go back, though, to chapter 1 and sort of sweep in the chapter 4, because what we're going to see tonight is a continuation of all the things that we've learned about our God up to this point. And let's be reminded of something. In every book of the Bible though there are Bible characters and Bible heroes and Bible stories, the main character in every book of the Bible is God. If we cannot find more about God in every and any book of the Bible, then we're missing the main subject of that literature. Same thing is true with Job, that we're going to start on Sunday. It's more than about Job. It's more than about suffering. It's it's about God. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we learned about the creator God, this amazing God who literally spoke the universe into existence and who created the universe out of nothing. Only God can do that. You and I can create things, but we have to start with something. God created the universe out of nothing, and he created us too. And that led us into chapter 2 where we saw that God spent most of the time then giving us more details about the creation of mankind. And in that chapter, we saw that he's not only the creator God, he's the personal God. He's a God who created us to have a personal relationship with him. He's a God who knows every detail about us, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, because he's the one who fashioned and shaped every detail of of our life, down to, you know, hair color, eye color, how tall, how short, all those details of our physical stature. He created us with certain emotional makeups. He created us with certain abilities and gifts and talents and all of that, and all of that was part of his design. He took the time to design every one of us down to the last detail. That's how personal he is with us. And then last week, we saw that in spite of the entrance of sin, where God clearly gave Adam and Eve freedom to explore and to partake of everything in the garden, he said, but I'm going to give you a choice because I want those that I create to follow me because they want to, not because they have to, not because they're robots, I'll give you a choice. You can eat from every tree in this beautiful garden except not that one. And we all know Adam and Eve disobeyed. And yet, in spite of sin entering into the world, we saw that not only is God the creator God in chapter 1 and the personal God in chapter 2, we saw in chapter 3 he's the God of grace. Because as sin entered in, we saw last week that God pursued Adam and Eve. God initiated that restoration, not Adam and Eve. They hid from God. And that God provided a covering for Adam and Eve because the covering that they made out of fig leaves was inadequate. And then God pardoned Adam and Eve and gave them hope of a coming Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head. And then finally we saw that God protected Adam and Eve from even messing things up further for themselves by expelling them from the garden. Tonight, we're going to see another aspect of God, and that is that God is a just God. But as we see about the justness of God, we're also going to see in this chapter that God is still creating, God is still the personal God, and that God is a God of grace. All of them sweep in and through this entire book as we're going to study it throughout these next couple of months. So, we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man, Adam, had marital relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then she said, I have created a man just as the Lord did. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. Now, before we get into really the story of Cain and Abel, again, I want to repeat what I said at the beginning of our time of worship. What we learn throughout the book of Genesis is that life is a gift from God. You and I wouldn't be here apart from God. He literally breathed into mankind the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a soul of desire, And without God, we don't exist. We're not here. We don't even have life. And so because God is our creator, worship should be the gift that we give back to God. But what we're going to see tonight is that because of sin, sin devalued God's gifts. It devalues God's gift of life, and it devalues worship or diminishes worship. That's what sin does. The more you and I walk in fellowship with God, the more we obey God, the more we come to understand the heart of God and what God values, and then we seek to live our lives by the values of God. But the opposite of that is true. The more we walk in disobedience and sin, the further apart from God we become, and we do not really then understand his heart. And our life then is reflected less and less by living and aligning ourselves with his values, and we start to live a life where it's about our values and maybe somebody else's values, the values of the world, if you will. We saw this Sunday with an associate of Paul, Demas, who forsook Paul and abandoned him because he loved this present world. Now, the word, uh, the name Cain, the first human being that Adam and Eve gave birth to, means acquired or a possession. And what Eve is saying here is not so much that she believed that she literally created this person without help from the Lord, because even in his name, Cain, It's the idea that she acquired Cain with the help of God. But I've got to believe, and and I'm sure you gals especially can appreciate this, what was it like to be the first mother and to give birth before anyone else gave birth and and to actually have that happen? it, It must have been an amazing experience for both Adam and Eve to see that that through their relationship, another life could come into the world, which, again, the Bible says, children are such a blessing to us. And then verse 2 says she gave birth to his brother Abel. Very interestingly, Abel's name in the Hebrew means breath or vapor. And I think it's actually uh, sort of a hint to the shortness of his life because Abel did not live a very long life. He was murdered, obviously, by his brother Cain at a very young age. Now, again, this passage is going to teach us about God being a just God, but as we've already seen here in the first couple verses, it also reminds us that God's a creator and brings life into the world. Every baby that is born, every baby that is conceived is a gift from God. God, and God is still creating every second of the day and every day that we are alive. He is creating things in his universe, and he will never stop creating. Even as we saw when we ended the book of Revelation, one day he's going to lay aside this heaven and earth and he's going to create a new heaven and earth for us to live in for all of eternity. He says in John 14, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you right now, a personal space for each and every one of you that when you get to heaven, I'm going to have created that just for you. He's creating this city, magnificent city called the New Jerusalem, sort of the capital city of heaven, if you will. So God is never going to stop creating, and, and, and the wonder of God's creation is always going to be there for us to behold throughout eternity. But God is also a just God. And I say that because if you notice then in verse 3, at the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them, and the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. Now, in the backdrop of this chapter on the justice of God, we also see, very interestingly, a lot about worship here, which I did not plan this for this chapter to fall right before our worship series starts on Sunday. God did that. But I want us to see some things about worship tonight. Because again, if life is God's gift to us, then our worship of him is our gift to him. And God, as a just God, is never holding us accountable for anything that he has not revealed to us. Let me repeat that. God, as a just God, never holds us responsible for something that he has not revealed to us. So when the Bible says at the designated time, both Cain and Abel brought their offerings to the Lord, it is very clear that God had given them instructions. This is how I want you to worship me with your offerings. And this is the kind of offerings that I am looking for when You come to worship me, and this is the time that I have set aside for you to bring those offerings. God was very clear about all this. Otherwise, God would not have held Cain accountable for not following his clear instructions. you see. What kind of offerings are we bringing to the Lord? That's part of our worship, if you will. And folks, I'm not talking about our tithes and offerings. I'm really talking about us. (laughs) Because it's more than just our tithes and offerings. It's our talents, our treasure, our time, our effort, our priorities, our values, you know, our enthusiasm. It is so many things. And so you'll notice here a couple of very interesting things. I don't think that God rejected Cain's offering simply because he cultivated the ground and Abel was a herdsman. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think he would have accepted Cain's offering had it been like Abel's offering. So what made Abel's offering more acceptable to God? Well, we see in verse 4. Abel brought some of the... And then notice that first part of that next word, firstborn. Or first fruits. He brought to God first. He did not give God the leftovers. <laughs> he he did not take everything that he wanted and then even divvied it out, maybe to his family and friends, and all that. And then at the end, he brought the last. God. No, no, no. He brought first to God. That's very important. God still expects us to bring our first fruits, if you will, our first everything to Him instead of, oh, now that I've done everything I want to do, now I'll try to fit God and what, you know. No. A true worshiper is going to offer first. To the Lord. Then you'll notice also in verse 4, he even brought the fattest of them. It's a word in the Hebrew that means the best, the choicest. He brought the very best of his flock. And I believe that's then why the Bible says the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. Not because it was animals and Cain's would have brought, you know. Something from the field. I think if Cain would have brought the first fruits from the field and he would have bought, brought the best of his field to God, I think God would have been very pleased with that as well. So we see here a lot about worship, right? Which is why, again, we all try to encourage each other that when we come and worship the Lord with our voices, and in song, that we give everything we got. And can I just say, I want to commend you all again. Wednesday nights, it's a lot harder on Wednesday night than it is on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we're all a little bit more fresh. Wednesday night, we've all worked and had a long, hard day, and you're coming here at the end of the day, and man, week in and week out, you all just give it your all. Can I tell you, you make God smile. You make God smile. That's the kind of offering that God is pleased with. By the way, I love this word, pleased. It means to gaze steadily at with interest. Think about it. You and I, by what we do for the Lord, can actually captivate his attention. We can actually captivate the attention of God by what we bring to him and how we bring it. That's amazing. Again, the God of the universe, and yet he's in the details, and he's so personal. But notice it says in verse 5, but with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. And notice Cain's reaction. Cain became very angry, literally enraged. From what? From pain. Pain because his pride was wounded, and that's how he responded. He was a prideful man. There's a couple things going on here. One, his pride was wounded and he became angry because by God accepting his brother's sacrifice and offering and not his, he became jealous and envious of his brother. And that started that anger inside of him. But something else was the rejection of God. God rejected his offering. God said, that didn't meet my standard. Now, think about this. This is important when you and I begin to understand worship. You know, even in the New Testament, Jesus said, those that worship my Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. God has a standard. And notice that even in the Old Testament, God doesn't bow to our standard. We must bow to God's standard. God's standard doesn't change. God didn't say, well, Cain, you did the best you could. And here's why. Because God, being a just God, clearly gave Cain the same opportunity he gave Abel. Here's what you need to do. Here's the offerings that I will accept. This is acceptable worship to me. And if you're going to worship me as God and appreciate the fact that I am your creator... I am your provider. I'm your protector. I'm your all in all. Then you will bring your first and you will bring your best. And Cain didn't do that. And instead of being humbled and instead of being repentant and instead of being sorry and saying, God, how can I make this right? Cain became angry. And he allowed that anger to start to burn inside of him. So notice, It even says his expression at the end of verse 5 was downcast. You could see it on his face, the anger. He was not one of these people that can hide their emotions very well. Personally, I don't think anybody really can. I think some, some of us think we can hide them better than others. Not really. But now notice God, again, sweeping back from a couple chapters ago, Now comes again the personal God and the God of grace with Cain, just as he did Adam and Eve even after they messed up. Here comes God trying to reach out to Cain and even warn him. He didn't have to do that. And and notice again how personal he is with Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your expression downcast? Now, the Lord knew the answer, just as he asked questions like he did to Adam and Eve. He wants, though, Cain to identify the struggle that his anger was causing him, as well as trying to get him to see, Cain, if you don't get on top of your anger, it's going to cause you even more problems. You've got to deal with this, Cain, or else it's going to take you down a dark path. See, God was trying to help him here. Notice, God says, verse 7, doesn't this sound very parental? Is is it not true that if you do what is right, you'll be fine? I I was thinking of this this afternoon as I was, you know, I thought, man, Beth and Stephen heard that a lot. Yeah. If you guys just do what your mom and dad tell, tell you to do, everything will be okay. That's very parental, isn't it? But notice what God says to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, oh, sin is crouching at the door like an animal poised to attack waiting for an opportunity to strike. It desires to dominate you, to eat us alive, to take over our lives. And God's right. That's exactly what sin will do. When you and I open up that door and allow things even like anger, and disappointment and pride and all of that to begin to fester inside of us, it doesn't stay at a certain level. It gets worse. And it wants to take over our lives. That's why so many people in our society today struggle with addictions of all kinds because they have allowed whatever kind of sin into their life, and it now dominates them. It totally takes over and controls their life. It started out small, but then it kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. God's graciously giving Cain a warning. Cain, watch out. And then he says this. You must subdue it. You must have power over your emotions. You must rule and reign over them, not let them rule over you. Now, again, God as a just God wouldn't have told Cain that if Cain did not have the power with God at this point to be able to do it. Because he's a just God. He's not going to require something of us that we couldn't do. He's not going to hold us accountable for something that we couldn't do. And he's basically saying, Cain, you better get on top of this. Sadly, Cain did not listen to God. He heard God, but he did not listen to God. You see, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for listen is the word shama. In fact, if you've been around the Oasis, you know that actually we are incorporated as shama ministries. The Oasis Church is under the umbrella of shama ministries. We did that way back when we started the church so that if in the future... As the vision that God gave me is we would have other ministries come under the Shama ministries umbrella And I always appreciated that Hebrew word Shama Because it means not only to listen with interest and Attention and care, but then it means to follow what you're hearing It's not just hearing something listening to a Hebrew is following and again Cain heard God. He didn't listen to God. That's sometimes where we struggle. We hear God, but we also need to listen to God. It's one of the ways we worship God is by listening. Well, we know Cain didn't listen because notice the next verse. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And we all know what happened next. Now, we don't know how much time passed, between the conversation that God had with Cain and Cain asking his brother to go out into the field. But we do know this that Cain did not do what the Lord told him to do. He did not check that anger inside of him. And it continued to boil and boil and boil until finally he was at a place where he was willing to take his own brother's life, his own brother. It says, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him, emphasizing the personal and horrific nature of the crime. Killed his own brother. And doesn't this then show us how quickly mankind began to disintegrate after sin entered? It didn't take long. <laughs> Cain was the first one born to Adam and Eve, and he becomes a murderer pretty quickly. It shows the power of sin left unchecked. But here again, verse 9, the personal God, the God of grace, who comes to Cain and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? Again, God knows where he's at. And he replied, I don't know why. And then he says, Am I my brother's guardian or keeper? Guess what? Yeah. Yeah, he is. And the implication to all of us is, Yeah, we are. We might not like that responsibility. But that responsibility has been with humankind ever since God placed us on this earth with each other. We are in some way responsible for each other. And here's how because none of us live our lives in a vacuum. And what is affecting me or the choices that I make is not just going to affect me, it's going to affect my family, and it's going to affect my church family, and my brothers and sisters in Christ, and my flock. And all of that it's not just going to affect me and the same thing is true with all of you we are intertwined with one another we're literally glued together by God into Christ's body you see and therefore what affects one affects us all and so we are in that way our brother's keeper if you will we are responsible because we don't live in a vacuum and what affects one of us affects all of us the lord said what have you done same thing he said to eve the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground there's the picture of god again as a just god I got to come down and deal with this. And there's consequences now for you, Cain, because I can't let this murder go unpunished. You see, as a just God, when God created the universe and then brought humankind in, he also built into the universe that he created consequences. That's why God doesn't have to be this God, like a lot of people think he is, that sends lightning bolts that come out of the sky and fry people when they do something wrong. No. First of all, God can do that. God very rarely does that. What God has done is built into the fabric of the universe that we live in consequences that are the results, the cause and effect of our behavior and our choices and our decisions. It's all cause and effect. If I do this, then I'm going to do this. God basically told that to the nation of Israel when he brought them before him and he said, I'm going to lay out the blessings and the cursings. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you're going to suffer consequences for it. It's all built in, and we see that today. nothing has changed because God is a just God. So now, verse 11, you are banished from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you try to cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its best all, I don't think that's an accident. Abel brought his best to God. Cain didn't. And because of that, Cain got angry, not only, I guess, jealous and envious of his brother, but angry that God rejected his offering. And now God says, because you've murdered your brother, you'll work the rest of your life with this ground, but it'll never give you its best like it did before. I think there's a lesson in there for us. He says, God, to Cain, you will be a homeless or fugitive wanderer on the earth. That's what always happens with those who rebel against the Lord God. They become wanderers. Think of Satan. We're going to see this on Sunday. Satan comes before the Lord. What, are you, what have you been doing, Satan? I've been wandering around the earth. Anytime you see the word wandering, it's not good. Think of the children of Israel, 40 years and 40, you know, what are they doing? Wandering, restless, unsettled. That's always the characteristics of those who are rebelling and disobedient against God. They will be restless, they will be unsettled, and they'll just wander from one thing to another. The characteristic of a person of God, of a godly man or woman, is one who is stable, one who is settled, and one who is at rest. Cain's never going to be at rest. He's going to be wandering around the earth the rest of his life. Now notice Cain's response to the Lord after this. Cain said to the Lord, Your punishment is too great to endure. What fascinates me about that is basically Cain is complaining about the consequences of his sin. He never, notice, never has any remorse for murdering his brother. Doesn't say, oh, God, I'm I'm sorry I took a life. I'm sorry I murdered. Never. Never says he's sorry for what he's done. What he's sorry for is the consequences. God, it's, it's too great for me too much for me to bear. Look, you are driving me off the land today, and I must hide from your presence. I will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Huh, so it was okay for you to kill your brother, but now you're, you know, upset that somebody might do the same to you. The Lord said to him, all right then, again, personal God, God of grace, if anyone kills Cain, Cain will be avenged seven times as much. Notice, God doesn't say, I will prevent somebody from killing you. But Cain is given the promise of God that I will put a mark on you that will very much discourage somebody from taking your life, which is exactly what the Lord does. He puts a special mark as a warning on Cain so that no one who found him would strike him down. Now, we don't know what the mark was. I have no idea. I'm not even going to speculate. Somehow, though, God put a mark on Cain that would discourage those from ever taking his life as he did Abel. So then, yeah, God of grace. But there were consequences. And so the Bible says in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you, that to me is the saddest part of it all. Here's Cain, just like Adam and Eve, who was walking with God. He saw God. Literally, the word presence means face of God. He literally, as much as they could at that time, was experiencing the closeness and presence and intimacy of God. In some way, maybe seeing his face in some way. And now he was banished from the presence of God because he was not repentant. He never said he was sorry for killing his brother. He never was sorry for his sin. He was sorry for the consequences, which, like a lot of people, right? And so he went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod. By the way, the word Nod means a land of wandering, east of Eden, just wandering around, restless, unsettled, unstable, wandering around. Now, in the rest of the chapter, I'm just going to summarize this way. From chapter 4, verse 17, down through the rest of the chapter, verse 26, it really is a tale of two people, two lineages, two legacies. You have Cain and his ancestors, and at the end you have Seth who comes in and his ancestors beginning in chapter 5. And there's such a contrast because the word name occurs seven times in this passage from verse 17 to verse 26. And the importance of making a name for ourselves is contrasted with making God's name great. And even though Cain's ancestors did many great things to advance civilization and society, and I'm not saying that was bad, they always used it, if you look later on in the Bible, to draw glory to themselves. But notice verse 25. But Adam had marital relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth saying, God has given me another child in place of Abel because Cain killed him. By the way, it is through Seth's line that Messiah was born. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 38, Luke traces Jesus' lineage and ancestry all the way back to Seth, not Cain. Remember, who did Cain's lineage become? The Canaanites that thorn in israel's flesh all through their existence the canaanites the ungodly who existed and were very capable people very blessed people by god that did many great things for society and civilization to advance it as you read here even in this chapter But it was all to bring glory to themselves and make their name great, not to make God's name great. And we see this still continuing in our society today. Thousands upon thousands of years later, there are people who are going to live on this earth whose sole purpose is, I want to make my name great. I want people to remember my name. I'm going to plaster my name all over buildings and towers and everything, and I'm going to make sure that people know my name. God says, I bless the people who make my name great, who exalt my name, you see. And that's exactly what Seth's line does in contrast to Cain's. Because in verse 26, it says, a son was also born to Seth, whom he named Enosh, and at that time people began to worship the Lord calling on the Lord with his name, implying a close personal relationship. You don't call on the Lord's name if you don't know him personally. It's a form of worship, you see. In fact, this word in the Hebrew literally means to exalt the name of, which is why the Net Bible translates it worship. Because when you exalt the name of God, That's, in essence, what worship is. It is lifting up the name of God, exalting the name of God, magnifying the name of God. And the implication here is that it was through the influence of Seth that his lineage and his children and his grandchildren were a legacy that he left behind of those that worshiped the Lord, where Cain's legacy was an ungodly legacy that lifted up their own name. God is an amazing God. He's our creator. He's so personal with us. He's such a God of grace that when we mess up, he's right there to try to help us if we'll accept it, if we'll listen. But he's also a just God. He has standards, and he has consequences for sin. And God simply says to us, as he said to Cain, if you do well, it's going to be okay. But if you choose to go your own way, then not so much. The book of Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, those people out there just doing their own thing, maybe to sometimes us as Christians, it looks like, oh, they have such a great life. No, they don't. They may try to appear as if they've got everything great on the outside, all that the world has to offer. I'm telling you, they're dying on the inside because they're missing the one thing that can bring fulfillment and satisfaction, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places. The only person that can bring total fulfillment and satisfaction and rest to our life and our souls is the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. He's it. it. And he is here tonight offering us all of him and saying, make me the priority of your life. Come and bring me your first and your best, and I will bless you. And you you will be more fulfilled and satisfied than you could ever be by chasing anything that the world or Satan, or the flesh, once. What a God. May we offer our best in worship to this God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much tonight for these ancient stories, Lord, that still have so much relevance and so much power, even to us today. God, there's so much we can learn and glean from these stories of these men and women and their interactions with you, even at the very beginning of existence. Because, Lord, one of the things we learn as we study the ancient book of Genesis is that men and women really haven't changed very much. In thousands upon thousands of years, we're still the same we still have the same needs and wants and desires. And God, I pray tonight that it's just been reinforced upon us, the people of God, how grateful we should be for you, God, and to you, for all that you are and all that you've done for us, God, and all that you will do. Everything that is of value, God, in our lives throughout eternity comes from your hand, God, and nowhere else. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we may be inspired and stirred and motivated to be more like Abel instead of Cain. That whatever we bring you, God, we give it our best because it's for you. And God, I also pray that we would desire to be more like Seth than Cain. That, Lord, we would live to leave a godly legacy, a legacy of those who worship your name, who exalt your name, who call upon you with your name. Instead of those, Lord, who even can make great things happen on earth, but do it to exalt their own name. So God, go with us. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for being so personal and so so gracious by being here tonight and meeting with us and being there in the homes of those who are watching tonight, God. And I pray that you would take us all home safely. God, if you don't come back tonight for us, then I just pray you'd wake us up tomorrow with your strength and and, and your power and just give us everything we need, God, to get through another day to bring glory and honor to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.